Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Dr. Gregory Dale. Dr. Dale is a professor of sports psychology and sports ethics at Duke University. He is also the director of the sports psychology and leadership programs for Duke Athletics. In addition to his work with Duke athletes and coaches, Dr. Dale consults with a number of college and professional athletes and teams as well as high school teachers and high school coaching staffs. And on top of that, Dr. Dale has authored several books related to leadership, performance, and parenting. He is an expert on the mental side of the game, motivation, and respect. Dr. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So on the podcast, we do talk a lot about how coaches can build good team cultures, but I feel like the mental health of the players has a lot to do with it. So I like to try to spend time connecting the dots between mental health and and, team culture, and we're going to get into all of that with you because I think you are perfect for this podcast. But the first question I want to ask you is what led you down the road to doing what you're doing today? Yeah. So, you know, as we all know, everyone has a story and, uh, you know, my story, try to make it relatively brief here, but I grew up uh, in Texas and Alaska. That's where I spent my childhood and uh, played several sports in in both of those uh, places. I learned to play hockey in in Alaska, you know, lived 50 miles from school, went 50 miles each way every day, uh, back and forth. And, uh, you know, we had a, a, a um, an all-star team in hockey and I was fortunate enough to make that team. We thought we were pretty good and we traveled into Canada 
and played a series of games and uh, we got our butts kicked big time. I, we played about a dozen games and I think the closest game was four nothing and they took it really easy on us. And it was a very humbling experience for me for sure. But it really, even as a middle schooler, it started helping me. I started realizing kind of, wow, there's, you know, we thought we were really good and there was some overconfidence there and I didn't know exactly what it was, but uh, I just thought that was interesting and, you know, went on to, uh, I thought I was going to be a teacher and a coach. Uh, I did my undergrad and then uh, in, in education. And then I was going to do, uh, you know, go that route. And I went to Teachers College, Columbia University in New York City. And I was going to do educational leadership. And I, But I took a, a class um, in the psychology of sport and performance. And it just truly transformed my changed my life and just helped. I just realized this is, this is what I want to do. And I found, I thought I could be a coach in a different way and coach athletes and coaches and parents, but, but do it in a different way. And so I did end up staying and teaching and coaching at an all boys private school in New York city. And then went back down to Texas and taught and coached at the high school level there. I really wanted to have some experience because I knew I wanted to work with coaches. I wanted to be able to say that I've been in the trenches and do that. I was an athlete uh, growing up, but I hadn't been a coach. And so I really wanted to get some of that coaching experience and was able to do that. And it really kind of helped me see all the mistakes that coaches make because I made many of them and uh, really helped me, I think, have some credibility with coaches as I talked to them about that. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've been at Duke now for 20 years and uh, have a great job. I get to work with athletes and coaches every single day and uh, and really trying to help them achieve their goals and dreams. So how did you end up landing the job at Duke? Yeah. So I, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, my wife is from this area, um, went to school at Carolina, ran track there. And so I met her in grad school, uh, when I was at the university of Tennessee in Knoxville. And, um, I just, you know, fell in love with this area and Duke and, uh, I wrote the associate athletic director uh, at the time when I was in grad school and uh, told him I was graduating and told him how awesome I was and how much I could help them and their programs here at Duke. And he was nice enough to write back and say thanks, but no thanks. And um, I uh, took a job uh, teaching and doing research and doing the professor thing at Winthrop University, which is a small school. And South Carolina. But anyway, I stayed in touch with this associate AD. He became the athletic director. And long story short, uh, they decided to hire somebody. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get that position. So I think persistence pays off sometimes for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, and the thing that I'm noticing, you know, as, as I do this podcast is how many colleges and universities are adding this facet to you know, the, the repertoire of things that they offer their athletes. And is this, I mean, and you've been at it a long time, but do you still feel like, you know, exploring the mental side of the game with athletes? Is this still a relatively new concept? Uh, relatively, yes. Uh, certainly, uh, it, it, it is more prevalent than, than before when I first started, for sure. You know, there are some coaches that it's interesting because, some coaches, um, they will uh, let strength and conditioning do the strength and conditioning part of it. They'll let the nutritionist do the nutrition piece of it. 
they let the athletic trainer do the athletic training part of it or the physical therapist or but the psychology piece of it is one place that they still feel like they can do or they want to have control over uh and so there's some coaches that that still feel like that that's part of comes under their realm uh but more and more coaches are seeing the importance of being able to do it systematically and and that having someone that is that's what they're trained in just like strength and conditioning uh more and more coaches are seeing the value of it and certainly with the mental health piece of it now uh it's interesting coaches are much more open to allowing uh, and encouraging student athletes to to take advantage of the mental health um support services that we have uh we we've now had when i first started i was here by myself and would uh, refer many kids out to different places if they were really had some some significant mental health challenges but now we have two full-time people that focus almost exclusively on mental health so you can see that you know every university is putting much more value in in that piece of it so okay uh, i'm going to get this out of the way right away here because this is a bot basketball related podcast and so i'm sure everybody's wondering mm. how involved you are with the basketball program and coach k i already know the answer but go ahead because i'm sure a lot of people are wondering how involved with the basketball program are you at duke yeah so you know not as much as uh maybe i'd like to or uh or maybe maybe many people think my office is actually in cameron indoor stadium but you know coach k is the master at the psychology piece of it i do work with some of the guys individually trying to help them on their mental approach to what they do um but in terms of working directly with coach k or working with the whole team on that piece of it I, i'm not really I'm, I'm not involved in that but you know we have 26 other teams and i spend a good bit of time with the majority of uh, of those teams well, don't sell yourself short because I will tell you that when I got your email and I saw your mailing address, I told my son, who's a basketball player, I said, "Look at his look at his address. It's it's Cameron." I said, yeah. he, "You know, he, yeah. he's a Cameron crazy, like yeah. full time." Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a it, it it is one of the best addresses around. I would I would say for sure, and it's great because I'm centrally located for the student athletes to be able to access that and and access me and be able to have that as a resource. And, you know, and again, I, I work, I have the chance to work with some NBA players outside of Duke and I, you know, so I'm definitely involved in the, in the basketball world um, and love the game. And my kids have grown up going to Duke basketball games and they don't realize how spoiled they are until they leave. And they're going to realize that, Hey, not everybody gets free tickets to all the Duke basketball games. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, you definitely impressed uh, me and my son. And, you know, and, and the other thing that I love about this, though, is that it's not just basketball. And, and I think this is the other thing we as a society need to kind of wrap our hands around is that this is going on across the board in all sports. We need that the, men, the mental part of the game is not just a part it's not this is not a football thing this is not a basketball thing this is this is an everything yes. and so my you know what i'm wondering is what so let's talk about the kind of work you do with athletes what are you working on with them yeah so it, you know it is it, it runs the gamut for sure and i pride myself on not 
uh, having a cookie cutter approach to the athletes that I work with. Everyone has, as I said, everyone has their own story and everyone has their own challenges. But in general, some of the common themes that come up are lack of confidence, um, overthinking, uh, dealing with pressure and stress and anxiety around sport and whatever sport that that might be. Uh, and I spend a lot of time with the different teams that I work with on team dynamics and team culture. There's a great saying that culture will eat strategy for lunch every day, and I think it'll eat it for breakfast and dinner and everything else. And, uh, and that uh, I spend a lot of time trying to help coaches and team leaders really develop and make sure they're very deliberate in the type of culture that they want to create. That leads to or helps contribute to being able to perform when the pressure does come or when the when we face adversity and those kinds of things. And particularly at Duke, the majority of our kids, and, and like many places in Power Five conferences and schools like this, that athletes come here and they were the very best, not only at their school or in their region, but oftentimes in the, in, in the state or in the country. And then they come here and they're not, they're not the best anymore. And they're not the smartest kid in the class anymore either. So uh, everyone around here is really talented. And so there's a, there's a hit in terms of confidence and then it subsequently makes them overthink, uh, makes them, uh, struggle more than they've probably ever had to struggle. And sometimes as when they're younger, you can get away with not working on the mental part of your game because you're more physically gifted than everyone else. And, but the higher you go in a sport, the more, equal the play the level the playing field is so to speak when it comes to talent and physical ability so one of the things that can separate individuals and teams is their mental approach to what they're doing so what are some approaches you work on with the athletes that help to change their thinking and get them back to where they were in high school playing a little bit more confidently and having more confidence in themselves yeah. So, you know, one exercise that I do and is uh, I have a nice big whiteboard in my office and I will ask athletes to, to uh, and we put it up on the board because I think it's good for them to see it. But I'd like for you to describe for me what you look like and feel like. If you could watch yourself on video or if you could describe what you feel like when you are doing your craft and you are doing it well, not necessarily in the zone, but in general, even thinking back to high school or thinking back to Sometimes when you are doing it well, whether it be in practice or in competition, what does that look like and feel like? And so they'll say things like, well, I'm communicating with my teammates. I'm connecting with them. I am, I'm vocal. I am relaxed. I am aggressive. Uh, and uh, those kinds of things. So we'll put those up. And then on the right-hand side, then I'll say, well, so what do you look like and feel like when you're not doing it so well? And they'll say things, well, I get more in my own head, I'm much quieter, uh, I'm tentative, I'm overthinking, whatever that might be. And so you, as you can see, now they look up there and they can see it's very, there's a huge contrast between those two. And then I'll say, so sometimes we worry about or we think about or we care about certain things that keep us from being that first athlete that we describe. Why can't we just go be that athlete all the time. Well, there's some things each of us have that, that keep us from doing that. So things like uh, worrying about what my coach is thinking, 
not letting my teammates down, uh, I, worrying about the consequences if I if I don't do well, letting my parents down. Um, there's whatever those are, and those things are very individualized for each of those athletes. And so, what we do is we spend our time on working on those things. How do we deal with the pressures of not letting your teammates down, or or thinking about what coaches are thinking, or worrying about consequences or dealing with expectations or those kinds of things. And that's where we spend our time learning how to, uh, to identify those things when they're happening, recognize when they're happening, uh, acknowledge them, and then be able to learn how to deal with those in that, in those moments. Some of it is around being able to help these guys be more mindful of this. And it's kind of like it's going on in the back of your mind while we bring it right out to the forefront and we deal with it so that they can free themselves up to then shift their attention to, you know what, and to trust themselves. You know what, I'm really good. Or the conversation actually might sound like, Greg, you're really good if you're just, if you, if you're vocal and you are aggressive today. So go do those two things. You don't have to uh, be special. You don't have to be anything spectacular. Just trust yourself to go do those things. And so we start to try to get them to shift their focus to that and evaluate themselves based on not how many points you scored today or how many turnovers did you force, what your rebounds were, but were you communicating and were you aggressive today? Because if you do those things, you tend to play better. And the and those numbers will be more likely to take care of themselves. So that's you one know, example of something I might do with an athlete. You know, and it's stunning to me how little it takes in the mind of of an athlete especially when we're talking about teenage athletes mm-hmm. for basically for for that foundation of confidence to crumble and one of the things and and so sidebar story my deal is i had my confidence crushed in ninth grade in basketball and so i knew i i knew what it felt like and i yeah. told myself when if i have kids if i have boys or girls i don't care if they play basketball or they play sports I want to coach because I want to make sure that doesn't happen, not only to my kids, but any any kid I coach, I, I never want them to experience what I experience. And, and, and that's what it, my confidence was crushed. And so one of the things that I always tell my kids is don't think, just do. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard. They're, they're, the mindset of, of a teenager, you know, it's just so fragile, and and it just it doesn't take much to really just kind of throw them off their game. I, am I am I okay in saying that? Am I right in saying that? Uh, absolutely, you're you're exactly right in saying that, and and uh, it doesn't take much. And so, but but what we have to do is what we have to help athletes do is identify what are those things that that get you off your game and it could be that your coach you know one thing that your coach might say or your coach doesn't say and uh that throws you off you got to own that you got to admit that and uh and, and learn how to deal with that so confidence for instance sometimes you know a coach absolutely i don't think coaches it's not a you don't wrap confidence up in a nice little package and give it to athletes but I do think you can influence it. And as an athlete, if you are too dependent on external sources like your parents or your friends or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your coach to give you confidence, then boy, they can give it to you, but boy, they can also take it away very quickly just by not saying something to you or saying one thing to you. 
So we work on, you got to own that. And if you're depending on too much on that, we got to admit that and say, all right, yeah, that's, that's where I am. So how do I start to focus more on me and how do I focus more on getting confidence from, from my past success or being prepared and making sure I have quality practice and those kinds of things to start to, to drive my confidence from there. So there's no question that it doesn't take much at all sometimes. And, and I think, you know, we talk about kids today, but I do think that technology has changed and parents have changed. And as a result, particularly the parent piece, I find that I that we deal with student athletes that come to Duke who don't quite know how to deal with adversity as well as I think kids did 15, 20 years ago. They, for the first time in their lives, they've ever, this is the first time they've ever really failed or dealt with real adversity or um, had to, to overcome things where somebody wasn't there to fix it for them. And so as parents, we feel like we're helping them, but we're actually doing them a little bit of a disservice by doing that. Well, and, and one of the things that, that we come back to on the podcast is I feel like there's three facets to this all the time. It's the coach, the player, and the parent. Yes. And going back to the coach for a minute, this is where I think we – might need to build a better foundation and it's especially on the high school level because i don't know if we have enough coaches who are recognizing the mental side of the game and how much their words can physically affect the the play of their players by you know the things they say and you said like you said the things they say or don't say and how much of an effect that has on players. Can you speak to that a little bit? Wow. I mean, I, man, I, I wish we had about eight hours here because I, it is such a, an important piece for coaches. And, you know, that's certainly one of my, my purpose in life is to try to help coaches shorten the learning curve for them. It took me a while to figure it out as a coach. But what you say and don't say, your body language, all those things – uh, have a huge impact. And I spent a lot of time trying to educate coaches, whether I do it in workshops or, you know, I, I do a lot of work at the high school, middle school levels, youth level. I, cause I really have a passion for that. Cause that's where I got my start. And I would tell you that coaches, uh, you have to, a couple things here, you have to be able to balance accountability and empathy. And see, I think as a coach, you have to have high standards for people. I mean, you have to push people uh, past where they feel like they can go sometimes. And you want to have high standards because I think the best coaches we've ever had, if we think about them, they had high standards for us. They were demanding of us. They pushed us and helped us achieve things maybe that we didn't feel like we could achieve. But while you have that, you also have to balance that with empathy and or compassion and Some coaches are great with the accountability piece. Boy, they have high standards. They're going to hold kids accountable and be demanding. But boy, they struggle with the empathy or the compassion piece. And, uh, you know, empathy is essentially trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes, feel their pain, so to speak, understand where they're coming from. And I try to help coaches understand that every single day when those athletes walk into that gym and they come to practice, every one of them has a story. Every one of them has something going on. And if a kid is off that day, they just seem like they're distracted or they're not where they need to be. 
rather than yelling at them or belittling them or humiliating them in front of all your all their friends, why don't you pull that kid aside and say, wow, man, you're off today. Are you okay? What's going on with you? Anything I can do to help you here? That, you're still holding the kid accountable. You're noticing that they're not uh, doing what they need to be doing, but you're also trying to demonstrate some empathy and compassion there and showing them that you care and that you want to try to help them and, and see what's going on. Find out there's a story behind why this kid is acting the way she or he is acting. Okay. So um, it, there, I, I have recently heard a, a podcast and uh, a neuroscientist and, and, and Oprah actually have a book together coming out. And, um, and the book is about, they, they, rather than saying what's wrong with you, we need to ask uh, what's happened more often. And I'm telling you, I think if coaches could do that a little bit more, they might uh, they're going to be more likely to uh, help kids be successful and help kids be more confident and be able to do things differently. And so coaching is an art. Some coaches are really great at the art of coaching and others aren't. And I just want to expand on this briefly uh, a little bit more, if that's okay, that that um, around the accountability piece and having high standards and, you know, that cliche that, you know, you can be de- demanding without being demeaning. I think it really is it really is true. And I, so here's some other things that I talk to coaches about. For instance, I think there's a difference in being intense and being emotional as a coach. Being intense, I don't know that you should ever really apologize for being intense. Intense means, boy, this is important. We've worked hard for this. We've prepared for this. I care about this. Emotional, though, is much more reactionary. Much more, you're much more likely to say things that you might later regret. You're much more likely to make things personal or whatever with with athletes so i want you to i try to get coaches to think about how am i intense or am i emotional and if i'm in, emotional then i need to work on that i think also that you got to understand that athletes aren't screwing up on purpose they're not making that bad pass or that turnover on purpose they're not missing the rebound on purpose uh and i think sometimes coaches forget about that particularly in competition because they get caught up in it but also part of it is, is that when you coach athletes and you, and you work with them and then you put that product out on the court, say in basketball, and that product doesn't look good, who's that a reflection on? Well, it's a reflection on you partly as the coach. And if you haven't evolved enough to understand that it's not about you, then you're going to respond differently because those athletes are making you look bad. Um, you got to allow athletes to play through mistakes whenever possible. You got a girl, she's got a breakaway layup, shoots a layup, misses the layup, and you have somebody at the scores table to jerk her out of the game right away, or you're yelling at her. The next time she's in that situation, or he, for many of them, particularly at the middle school, high school level, so to speak, youth club level, those athletes, I'm telling you, they started thinking either pass, I'm not going to shoot it myself, or don't miss. And see, I think great coaches create a culture where they free kids up to play through mistakes in competition? Do you create a culture that every time a kid screws up, they got one eye on the bench wondering if they're going to get yelled at or get taken out? Or do you free them up and do you focus more on how they respond to that first mistake? Do they hang their head? Do they make a dumb foul? Right? Are they slow back on defense? Focus on that. You got to free them up to play because if you describe an athlete who's afraid to fail, Athlete and I ask coaches all the time, and they'll say, well, they're tentative. Well, guess what? You 
contribute to that based on how you respond when they make mistakes. A couple other things you got to be careful about making it personal. My grandmother can run faster than you can. You're slower than molasses running uphill. I heard a coach tell a kid not too long ago, you in a race with a pregnant woman, son, you'd come in third. That's how slow you are. Now there's some coaches out there that haven't taken a note till just now. They got to remember that because that's, that's pretty good. I got to remember that one. Well, why can't we just focus on the behavior? Why can't we focus on correcting the behavior? Why do we feel like we have to make it personal? Why do we feel like we have to give them that extra little jab? We do it because we think it's going to motivate them. We do it because we think it's going to help them. Two other things here. Be careful about sarcasm. As a coach, it's one thing to be sarcastic about yourself or sarcastic about the situation that we have ourselves in here as a team. But when you as the coach start individualizing your sarcasm to individual athletes, that's when things change. There's a huge power differentiation between the coach and the kids. And coaches think, and some of you are out there thinking, well, you just got to know who can take it and who can't. I'm going to challenge you. You're not that smart. None of us are that smart. We don't know who can take it. Have you ever had a kid come up to you and say, coach, you're killing me with your sarcasm. They don't do that. You think you can take it. You think they can take it. So I'm saying have fun with your kids. Have some fun with them. And if you're going to have some fun with their, at their expense, they got to be able to have some fun at your expense. But I'm just saying, and I'm a sarcastic person myself, be careful about how you wield your sarcasm. Okay. And then the last piece is be careful about belittling and humiliating your athletes in front of other people. Uh, what would you do if your AD or your boss regularly humiliated you in front of your colleagues and then ask you to give them the extra? I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this. You'd think, screw you, lady. Screw you, pal. I'll do it because it's my job, but my heart's not going to be in it. It's the same thing with kids. I'm not saying that you stop practice and bring a kid aside and and talk to them individually and make everybody wait. That's not what I'm saying. you got to call kids out in front of everybody sometimes and correct them. But what is your intent? Is your intent to humiliate them or belittle them in front of all their friends? And if it is, there's no way those kids' hearts are going to be in it and they're not going to, they're going to play and do what they have to do to be compliant, but they're never going to truly be, be great. All right, I'm going to stop there. I could go on and on, but those are just some of the things I try to talk to coaches about and understanding the impact that they have on, on athletes. Well, now I wish we had eight hours too, because we could we could honestly do the first eight hour podcast <laughs> in history. Because like I am so into all of this, and I want to, and I, and I and I agree so much with everything, like like everything you have just said. And I want to throw one other thing at you. Yeah, I had I had a parent come to me. This is one of the one of the things that the podcast is bringing out. I have people coming to me and sharing stories, and one of the stories that was recently shared with me by a parent was uh, a parent of a baseball player, a pitcher whose team had gotten deep into the state playoffs. And on the morning of their game, uh, the coach went out of his way to tell this person's son that he is our closer today. You are our closer. You will, you will close this game for us today. um, When, when we get there and during the game there, they had a lead and it was a two-run lead, and they get to the seventh inning, and the pitcher who was he was the pitcher who was pitching was was fine. And then they got to the seventh inning, and the kid is struggling. Well, the coach doesn't turn to the kid 
who he already had told, went out of his way to tell him he was going to be the closer, didn't, didn't put him in, and left the starter in there, and they lost the game and their season was over. I think another big part of this is, you know, it's not, it's not only what you say and how you say it. It's like delivering on the messages you're sending to your players. What are your thoughts on that? And have you heard similar stories like the one I just told you from the, this parent that I heard a couple of weeks ago? So I've definitely heard similar stories and you can't do that as a coach. And I know there was probably great intent there. Um, but even just how you say that, just, Hey, if the opportunity arises and if the situation is, is conducive for this, you know, we'll, we'll, we're, there's very, we're very likely to, to go to you and very likely you got to be careful about using, uh, those, uh, stating it like he did. And uh, see, I think as a coach, the whole premise of what I talk to coaches about is that ultimately your success comes down to the credibility that you have with the coaches or the kids that you're coaching. And you have a credibility account and you're either making deposits into that account or you're making withdrawals from that account. And when you do things like that coach did, you're making huge withdrawals from that account. The next time that kid's not going to believe what the coach says. Um, it's another thing around uh, coaches when they have um, rules and consequences. And that's another thing I talk to coaches about is that, so do you have a lot of rules? Do you have a few rules? Do you state the consequences ahead of time? Do you treat everyone the same? And this is part of the art of coaching and it gets back to your, your credibility. And so let's say you have a star athlete and you have your star pitcher and then you can have a kid at the end of your bench uh, who's probably not going to get in in a regional final or a state championship. But you've said ahead of time at the beginning of the season, hey, if you break this particular rule, here are our rules. This is a big one. If you break this one, you're going to sit out the next competition. Well, it's the Wednesday before the regional final or the state championship and your star pitcher and this other kid are knuckleheads and they break the rule. Uh, and everyone on the team knows that they've broken that rule. And the consequence is you have to sit out the next competition. What do you do as a coach? And see, I think if you, first of all, if you let the kid play, then you're really not in it about developing young men or women for life. Like we say, what sport is all about. It's all about winning in that moment. And then if you say, well, let's put it out to a vote and ask all the team, then you don't have the guts to do what you said you were going to do. And see, I think you don't do that. You don't put yourself in that situation. Don't state the consequences ahead of time because you put yourself into a corner where you're going to lose credibility. And so part of that is the art of coaching. And speaking of our men's basketball team in the past, they've had one rule. Don't do anything detrimental to you, this school, or this university. If you do, there's going to be a consequence for that. That covers everything. Right? That covers everything. And one coach said, there's a life is a series of extenuating circumstances. And if you live in a black and white world as a coach, you're going to miss the opportunity to impact impact kids. So um, I mean, look, I could take this in lots of different directions, but my point about this is is that if you say something, you have to follow through on that, right? And so be careful about painting yourself into a corner 
where you're going to have to start, where you start to backpedal and say, well, I didn't really mean that. And for this kid, we're going to make him run as opposed to sitting out because we really need this kid and uh, this kid could really help us. Um, you, you, you can't do that because you lose credibility. And the example that you gave, that coach lost credibility and is now going to have to work very hard to rebuild that with the kid and the parent. Well, and I think not only is the credibility crumbling here, but the culture crumbles too because yes. you, you know you know what happens, right? You know, well, you, you know the kid told the parent, right? And you know the parent is telling, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only parent he told, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, that story too, you know, and I'm sure it, the kid has talked to all of the other kids on the team. You, you know what I mean? And and so then I'm sure then there are other kids who are sharing other stories that may be similar to that story. And it, and it just turns into a snowball of, uh, of, uh, of crumbling culture, which now has become, I mean, it could end up being toxic for all we know. Yes. Um, and I think that this is where – I, I, you know, coaches and I, and I, I get it, you know, it's like, you know, th- these are teachers, I get it, you know, it's like they played maybe in, in college and, and things, you know, but there's, there's more, I think the onus is there's so much more on our coaches these days to, to recognize these types of situations and all the things you listed before we started talking about this and how the mental side of it, of the game. And, and I would even say this relates to, to the office as well, the mental side of the – because if you have a manager or a boss who's doing all of these things, you know the employees are going to end up in the same boat as, as, as the athletes we're talking about. But the connection between the mental side of all of this and, and the culture, this is where the dots connect. Am I, am I okay in saying that? A hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're, look, they're not, they're not robots and – Leadership is leadership. And I talk about some of the, I do a good bit in the corporate world as well and take the things that I talk with coaches about and, and athletes about around culture and those kinds of things and, and apply many of the same principles in, in the corporate world. And you're, you as a leader in the corporate world or any organization, your success is going to come down to the credibility that you have with the people that you're trying to lead. And it, it much of it comes down to can you – are you true to your word and how you treat people? You know, they get, they look past our, our, I think what gets you in the door with people in terms of your credibility is your knowledge and your expertise and your ability to, to, to do the job, so to speak. But what takes you to that next level and what creates a, I think the difference between good and great is your ability to connect and relate with people. And I recently heard, uh, Nick Saban talked a little bit about this and I've heard other coaches talk about this and I applied it to leadership and I do a little two minute thing on uh, LinkedIn and some other things about leadership and that when they talk about you as a leader so when athletes talk about their coach when they say do they say wow this coach is really knowledgeable she knows the sport she has a great work ethic and you know what she cares about us she and she um Really, and and she's. I love playing for her. Or do they say she's she's got a great knowledge of the sports? She's got a great work ethic. But man, she's a jerk. But but it's all about her. And it's it's you're either an and leader or you're a but leader. And typically, what comes after the and is 
all good stuff. It's all about the connection and how you relate to people. When they say the butt piece of it, it negates everything that was said before that. And the, typically the butt is, it's a, again, it's about how you connect with people and it's always negative. And so whether you're in the corporate world or you're a high school basketball coach, it really comes down to, yes, you have to know your sport and you have to be able to, to do that or know your craft or know your, your, where you are. But man, it comes down to how you relate to people and how the credibility that you have with them and do they believe in you and trust you and want to follow you. I'm very interested in, in the answer you're going to give to my next question. At Duke, with across the board with all of the teams, are there off-the-court activities that the teams do together in order to build those relationships? And, and, and do the coaches take part to build those relationships and to attain that trust that they can carry from off the court onto the court or off the field and onto the field? How important are off-the-court activities? I would say they're very important. And look, you're going to have a culture probably one way or the other. And that culture is going to, I think, is a reflection of you and your leadership and the real reflection of the leadership of the, of the captains or the team leaders. And if you're not very deliberate about the type of culture that you're going to create, and you might, then you might get lucky and have a really good culture. But the reality is many times if you don't spend time on it and nurture it and water it and pay constant attention to it, it's, it's going to go in a direction that you don't want to go. And the best coaches that I've ever been around absolutely spend time on it, all, not just the beginning of the season and do a few team building things, uh, which are important, but they do it throughout the entire year. Throughout the, It's a regular part of their, their conversation. And I do think that doing things away from the court or the field or the mat, wherever you are, it's really important. They've got to get to know each other at a deeper level. One exercise that I've done with many teams that I've worked with, I have a 300 black and white photos that are five by sevens. They're laminated. They're just random photos. And I lay them out uh, on the floor uh, around the room. And each person, coaches included, go and pick five different photos that represent different parts of their life. One is, um, a significant event that happened in my childhood. So pick a picture that represents a significant event that happened in your childhood while you were growing up. Another one is uh, what you want to do in your lifetime that has nothing to do with making money, how you view your role on the team. Uh, say something in the, uh, maybe one is uh, something that no one in this room still knows about me. Uh, they pick five of those. Now, if you have a basketball team, you can do it where everybody shows each one. But if you have a much larger team, like a lacrosse team or a football team, you got to break it up into to relatively smaller groups. But each person holds that one black and white photo up. This is a significant event that happened in my childhood. And they hold that up where everybody can see it and they talk about it and they share their story around that piece of it. And the coaches do it as well. And I'm telling you, it's really powerful because one of the best ways for you to develop trust in a team is for you to be vulnerable with each other, to open up a little bit and to let people see you at underneath the surface a little bit. What's going on on there? What's your story, so to speak? Uh, it's really, really powerful. And, and, and athletes, 
and coaches have a different perspective on things. One coach shared uh, that, you know, one of his children uh, passed away when he, when, when the child was only about a month old. None of the kids on the team knew that, but man, I'm telling you, they have a different appreciation for that coach now because that coach was willing to open up and share that story with, with them. Another athlete had a picture of John Lennon, had a peace sign up and, and it was kind of interesting. And this was a significant event and said, this is, I was 12 years old and my dad said, peace out to my family. And I haven't said seen my dad since then. And I'm telling you, people have a different perspective on that, on that athlete. And some coaches are thinking, those of you listening, maybe thinking, man, that's too touchy feely for me. I don't know if we can do that. I would say, as Brene Brown talks about in her work, uh, it takes, if we think about vulnerability, we think weakness, but if we think about courage, we think strength. You're not being courageous if it's not somewhat vulnerable. See, courage and vulnerability are inter- interchangeable. They're closely linked with each other. And that it, you got to put, you got to have a little courage, put yourself out there, get your kids to be a little courageous, put themselves out there and get to know each other at a deeper level. And it's going to absolutely make a difference in the trust that you have with each other and which will in turn make a difference when the going gets tough and how they want to play for each other and play for their coaches. In a situation like that, is does it make sense? Are, are there are there exercises you can involve the parents in as well? I get I mean on college, you know, college level probably not. But on the high school level, do you feel are there are there opportunities to involve the parents in activities like that one as well to, in order to create that buy-in and to build that culture? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I do think that coaches who have the philosophy that you just keep parents at a, at arm's length and you don't deal with them, I think you're 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 not going to last long in this world because parents are absolutely involved. I do think there's some things that are kind of sacred to the team and and a part of the team, but I do think you can you should get the parents involved and and as a coach one of the things I would do is you absolutely need to have parent meetings at the beginning of the year for sure at a minimum. And one of the things that I think you should do is ask the parents, "Hey, what are the lessons that you want your kid to learn as a result of being a part of our program here?" And I promise you they're going to say teamwork. They're going to say how to deal with adversity. They're going to say uh, being a great teammate. They're going to say all these great things. And so as a coach, that's where you have to kind of, that's where you have the opportunity to kind of turn it back around on them and say, we're going to do our very best to do that, but we need you guys to help us do that. You guys need to help us. If you see your daughter or you see your son on the bench and everybody else is cheering on their teammate, but your son is upset because he's not getting to play and he's pouting and he's not cheering on his teammates. See the conversation from the parent needs to be about what it means to be a great teammate, even when you don't get to play the role that you want. Cause many times parents are going to take the kid's side and they're going to go talk to the coach about why my kid's not playing as opposed to saying, Hey son, that stinks. It's no fun. I know that it's not any fun, but when you're on the bench, man, you got to cheer on your teammates. You got to, encourage them uh, because you're sending the message that it's kind of about you. See, if we can get parents involved in trying to help us teach those lessons, 
because they said they want their kid to learn teamwork. <laughs> but I think parents, if we're honest, as one basketball a kid, a parent of a basketball player said, look, he told me, Greg, I'm all about teamwork. As long as the four best kids and my kid are out there playing, teamwork sounds great to me. And I think that's kind of honestly, that's where most people are. But see, I think you can get parents involved in that. Dealing with adversity, right? We can help our kids learn how to deal with that based on how we handle it when they don't play well. And what's the conversation like in the car ride home when they didn't play well? And are you making them talk to you? Or are you giving them the third degree? Or are you allowing them to have some space and, and, and let them come to you when it's time to talk about that? And so there's so many things that I think coaches can do with parents to help them and get them on board and saying it's a we thing. We as adults, coaches and parents, we have a great opportunity to teach these kids and help them learn these lessons, but we got to do it together. What are your thoughts on positive psychology? Oh, it's huge. I think it's really very, the, the, the data, the research shows that it makes a difference. Absolutely. It's all in how you interpret it's not the environment. It's our interpretation of the environment. So uh, much of it has to do with that. And I think it, it, it can make a huge difference. I'm a big believer in it. When we, when I, when I say to you positive psychology, because to me, to me, I understand it as you're, 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 you build up your players' strengths, right? And then you, you can almost insulate maybe some of their weaknesses, right? If you're building them up and, you know, and, and, and if you're, if you're, and for the lack of a better example that I can come up with, if you're telling the kid who maybe isn't the greatest shooter on the team, but he's a really good rebounder, you keep building up his rebounding ability, you'll have somebody else who's a better shooter who can kind of fill in the gap of, of his lack of yeah. shooting. Yeah, I see. Is, is that, it, that's the way I kind of understand it. And, and, to be able to build up all of your players' strengths in order for them to come together and they, they, they kind of cement together to insulate all of the weaknesses that the team might have. And then you create like this snowball that rolls into wings. Is yeah. that is that a way to look at it? Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I was thinking you were talking about something different here. But but to me, there's no question that, that you want to build upon their strengths. I think that's where they have the most potential to be great. And so, like you said, it doesn't mean that you ignore weakness. And so if a kid can't go left, they need to work on going left and driving to the hoop. Uh, but you know what? Uh, if their strength is they're outside, you know, the 15-foot mid-range jumper or they're rebounding, you better make sure that you're absolutely spending a lot of time helping that kid develop those skills. You can't ignore a fatal flaw. You can't ignore their weaknesses but in terms of time and what you should devote more time to, I'm going to argue it should be on their strengths. And so the great teams aren't great because everybody is has all the skills. It's they're great. Be, the teams are great because people have different skills, different strengths, and they're contributing those strengths most of the time. And what advice could you give players who maybe just aren't comfortable going to the coach and talking to the coach because maybe they just, you know, for whatever reason, and it could be because they don't feel the environment is safe, but what advice would you give a player who would like to go talk to the coach and ask the coach about their current situation or their role, mm -hmm. but they're, they, they just don't have it in them to do it. What would you tell them? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think it's important 
that you're able to do that if you're if you're struggling. But I think you gotta rather than talk to him about playing time and why am I not playing, I would say don't talk about other kids on the team. Don't do that. You need to focus on yourself, and you you you, you need to talk to the coach about what are the things that you need to work on to improve yourself to give yourself a better chance to. To, to be a, to have a different role on the team. Now, um, that doesn't guarantee just because you work on it that that's going to happen, but you need to do that. And I think you want to leave that meeting with very specific things you can work on. If coaches say, hey, you're doing a great job, just keep it up and, you know, just keep working hard, love your attitude, uh, I think you got to pin them down. Coach, I want to spend some extra time on some different skills and I want to do some – I want to work on some stuff please can you give me some very specific things that I that I can work on two maybe things that would really improve my game what are those you need to leave there with those if it will help you to role play with your parents then do that I've done that with my sons before role played I'm the coach they're the the athlete and we kind of role play through it so if there's an adult or somebody else that you can role play that with uh, then then do that um, but I think it's um, that you, you should absolutely talk to the coach if you're struggling. Now, I would also, again, don't talk about other kids. Uh, don't talk about playing time or just talk about what you need to do to improve. I also would say if you're not getting to, and that doesn't change, you've got to look elsewhere. Where else are you getting your fulfillment from? Because if you only view success as how much you get to play or you're only going to enjoy your sport based on how many minutes you get, then you're basing that on a couple things that you have no control over. And you have a chance, if you're not getting it, to be miserable. It's going to ruin your relationship with basketball, for instance. So why else do you do this? If you take playing time out of it, why else do you do it? Well, you get to be with your friends. You get to be on a team. You get to do something that keeps you in shape. You get to play and practice and play. Well, that's where you got to put your energy. That's what you got to put your focus on. I'm not saying you give up on wanting to play. And so you don't have to accept your role on the team, but you have to embrace your role on the team. There's a difference. Accepting it means I'm okay with just sitting on the bench for the rest of my life. No big deal. I'm not saying you should ever do that. You should always want to play. But whatever your role is, you need to embrace it. And you need to uh, make the most of that. Okay? Because uh, and put your energies into to where you're going to get some return on that investment. But if you're only going to be satisfied – based on the minutes you get and you're not getting the minutes you want, then you're, you're, you're going to start to hate your sport. I, I think we've answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We, we see mental health becoming more exposed, you know, on the professional level. Um, what we see, we mentioned it earlier in this podcast, the major colleges are, recognizing this as uh, as something that is is very important but do we need to trickle this down now to the high school level you know and i, and I would even say let's say division two division three you know colleges and universities as well but do we need to look at mental training as important as as an as as much of an important part of the game as the physical, as lifting weights and doing layups and all the other things that, that go along with it, should we be looking at this across the board, the mental training that 
athletes need to go through and coaches. I will say coaches as well. Do we need to start looking at this? Like this needs to just become a part of every single program. Yes. Well, obviously you're speaking to someone who's obviously very biased and, uh, but I would tell you it's absolutely as important as any other aspect of, of their game. They spend hours and hours physically preparing themselves to go out and compete and often what go, what's going on away from the court or their inability to deal with pressure or their lack of confidence or all those things undermine what they've trained themselves to do. So it's absolutely imperative. And if you were to ask any athlete, what percentage of your sport is mental compared to the physical part of it? Overwhelmingly, they're going to say it's at least 50%. And some sports like golf and swimming and running and some of those other, or some aspects of, of the sport, like in shooting free throws and basketball, those kinds of things uh, are, are so much more mental than they are physical. Uh, we just haven't, caught up with it yet you know it used to be that the coach did everything and strength and conditioning wasn't a, a, a real focus of it but now it is and and I think the mental training part of it is coming slowly but there's still a stigma that you either have it or you don't or there's something wrong with you if you work on the mental part of it but that is so far from the truth um, and the more coaches are willing to open up to it the coaches are the gatekeepers they're the ones that determine whether their athletes and their teams are going to be open to it and work on it or, or not. So before before we wrap up, I wanted I always do a little fun thing at at the end of the podcast um, called "What's the Coolest." Now you already work at the coolest place, so we'll get we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to that. But before before we wrap up here, if people want to get hold of you if there are coaching staffs out there who want yeah. you to come and, and and speak to them or or you know how can people either get hold of you or get hold of your resources your books and things how can they reach out to you yes uh but, well i have a website excellentinperformance.com excellent in performance.com that has a list of the different workshops and the books and stuff and you know uh twitter uh, at greg greg dale 919 um, and on LinkedIn, Facebook, all those places, uh, those are all great places to get me. Um, my, uh, G Dale at Duke is my, uh, G Dale at Duke.edu is my email so they can get in touch with me there. But yeah, I do, I'm fortunate enough to go and do coaching education workshops and parent education workshops and work with, uh, student athletes and work with captains at different places and, so, yeah, if they want to get in touch with me, those are the best places to do that. Well, if a knucklehead like me can find you, Dr. Pale, I'm sure the smarter, the smart people of the world will be able to track you down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so, so now what, what I like to do is I always like to ask my guests, like, what's the coolest? And so we talked about it earlier. Your office is in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Mm-hmm. So you already win for what's the coolest place you work? Well, yes. you win that. Yes. Hands yes. down. You, you, you win that. Mm-hmm. But looking back on, on your, on your playing and coaching days, what's the coolest place? Or, I mean, how about that? What's the coolest place you've either played, coached or watched a game? Oh, wow. Wow. And if it is Cameron, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen some pretty cool events. Duke Carolina in Cameron. It doesn't get much better than that for sure. Um, so I would say that, but I would also tell you, I got to tell you, I had the chance to play some really cool 
ice hockey games in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, just out there with, with kids, you know, middle school and it's 10, 15 below zero and we're outside and we just played for hours and hours and hours. Um, and, uh, just have some of the fondest memories as an athlete, being able to do that, uh, out there. And, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. So Cameron and remote Alaska. How about that? Those are the two for me. Was it a situation where you able to you're, you're out there playing like at ten o'clock at night and the sun's still out? Uh, well, that no. Well, we played baseball in the summer when the sun was still out at midnight, but in the winter it gets dark pretty quickly. But we had lights, so we were able to play. But um, it was yeah, it was amazing, very cool. So wait, so when did you leave Alaska? What? How old were you? So uh, as I was going into my freshman year in high school. Okay. Going back, I went back to Texas and finished high school in Texas. So I spent like my fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grades in in Alaska. Wow. No, yeah. it, uh, no, that, that's great. I've been to Alaska once. It's awesome. Yeah, I had it's some amazing. Friends who amazing. who uh, who lived there, and we got to stay with them. And like the, Denali was right out their front window. It oh was wow! Awesome. Yeah, very cool. It, it was it was quite an experience. As has this last this last hour. I can't. I've learned so much. There was so much in here, and uh, and I feel like there is just so much more that I would love to get into with you at another time if you'd allow me to hit you up sometime in the in the future. Yeah, happy to do it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, it's been fun. No, this this has been great, and this is exactly like all of the things you're, you're you've touched on here today, Doctor Dale is uh, is exactly the goal of you know the folks at the Hoopheads Podcast Network, and you know, and myself when we talked about you know when they wanted to add a, a podcast to their to their repertoire, and you know, this was something that we talked about, and they said we don't have anything like this. And this is if we were going to carve out the blueprint for the podcast, this last hour is definitely it. So I appreciate you taking the time with us. Yeah, today. you're welcome. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Remember, folks, if you know a great coach who's doing great things, winning games, and building a great team culture at the same time, I want to hear about them. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1 and on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, build your players' strengths, find them all a roll, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.